Hello, welcome to Process. My name's Stephen Walsh. We're going to be talking to Oscar Zarate, Ilya and Carrie Franzman about their work tonight. First up, Ilya. Oh, okay. Does that look familiar to you? Yeah. yeah. Scarily familiar. What intrigued me about this was the fact that you've got the full script alongside the work there. Is that what you, uh, how you normally work? No, um, the, that, that's, that's misleading uh, <laughs> as an image because the full script existed from some years ago when I, I uh, basically submitted it as one of the ideas. I, I was offered a slot in an anthology for, for an American company called DC Comics and it was basically weird love for their, for their Vertigo imprint. And so I came up with various weird love scenarios and, and this was an eight-page eight script for that but from a, a work in progress, which, which was the larger book uh, that took much longer to come to fruition. And they, didn't, they didn't go for this. Uh, this, is, this now forms the opening of the book Room for Love with one of the central characters before they arrive in London. And it's not, one of the, it's not an idea that DC went for. They did go for one where a man is basically sexually attracted to paving stones. <laughs> and uh, that was sufficiently weird love for them to do. And that was based on a newspaper clipping I'd, I'd either seen or radio news I'd overheard. And I just thought, how weird is that? And, and what would that be like? And I had to actually imagine what it was like, what it might be like, why you might fall in love with pavement, and what might be sexual about pavement. <laughs> so, so that was kind of fun. But that's not this. This, this, this is a kind of, kind of a, somebody hitchhiking on their way to London and basically selling themselves for sex on the road. Just in terms of the page and left it, yeah. do you want to talk us through some of the notes you've made to yourself, the big red X and done? Well, that tells me it was, uh, what, the ninth of the first? You could, what, what's important maybe to take from it is that it's virtually hieroglyphic. You know, it's, it's me scribbling out, working out tempo of pages. I mean, I've actually organised panels into pages, so before that you'd have a, you'd have a, a scenario where you might just be scribbling moments, you know, images you see, like, like shots from a movie, although... Filmmaking and comics are very, very different processes. You know, they have some of the language in common in terms of the shots you pick or whatever. So that's me organising my shots into rough page units. It's probably best to move on because it's it's, it, yeah, it's a much earlier generation. This is this is like secondary stage where I'm working out my tempo. I've already worked out my shots, so I'm just trying to get the page turns. You you want to kind of want the reader, even if they're casually reading it in a shot, you know, you want them to to catch them. So you try and have a strong opening, some mystery. But all throughout the book, try and organise it so there's reveals on a page turn and there's reasons to turn the page. There's kind of little rhythmical climaxes or, or feeders to make people move on. So that's part of this. And I, I would do a whole book like that. And, and you know, within, within realities of book publishing, you have a set number of pages. So what I actually thumbnailed like this the editor could read rather than actual type script. I didn't have to do a type script. I'm working out my dialogue at this stage as well. Some of it I have on, on pre-written sheets of dialogue, you know, from bedside table, waking up in the night and writing down things, bus rides, you know, you're just scribbling down, you hear the voices, they start talking and you put it down. But from this I had to do an edit and, and cut about 30 odd pages of it to fit within the parameters of what I could do in the time and, and what was allowed as an overrun of the agreed 120 pages and I went to 140 four I think. In terms of tempo as well, you've talked about working out page by page, but the gridding will control the tempo within the page as well, won't it? Yeah. The number of panels and yeah. the place. And on this project more than others, I became obsessed with tempo, a, 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 a rhythmical beats. I didn't really have time to put great polish on the artwork, which will be in contrast to maybe what um, 
Oscar will show you in terms of his watercolour paintings. Uh, I'm cramming this in a lot less time period. There's an element to which the finish on the drawings is quite diagrammatic, and therefore I think the strengths of the book come through rhythm. Uh, and, and, And I think there's a lot to explore in terms of how comics work in a similar way to poetry or song, you know, rhythm and metre, not necessarily, you know, the rhyme scheme or so on, but certainly the delivery and the breaths. Uh, same as you would you know, consider that when you're acting as well in a stage play or a film. I guess through this working method began to obsess me a little bit. And this first page we've got here with the intercross blue lines, is that a, a guide in terms of the importance of centering on the page and the diagonals in terms of reading across the page? This is almost like, this is almost like a fake version of what I would do for myself because this, this is done to be a little more explicit although it's chaotic it's a little more explicit for the sake of another person reading it which would be Emma the publisher whether I handed it in and whether she actually read it or not I don't know but um, you know she, she had it for a few weeks and she's an incredibly busy person so I wouldn't blame her if she didn't and it would just mean she trusts me so hopefully she, she would at least have dipped into it and, and checked a few things but yeah the, the red ruling of lines is just to make it absolutely clear to a stranger those are panel divisions and, and that's where the word balloons fall and that's more than I would do for myself it, it's, it's made to be read by other people this but it saves it, again it's still a, a lot easier and quicker for me to do than a full type script or, or you know he walks into the room we see him framed within the doorway it's a medium shot you know I don't have to do any of that and, and what's said is there you can read it around the edges so it's chaotic and hieroglyphic <laughs> but uh, Please don't throw things. <laughs> well, that's probably good practice for a creator in terms of working in comics, sending things off to a publisher. You can't necessarily guarantee that that person is going to be as comics literate as you or as aware of your work as you are. No, certainly. And, and, and I think it's... Uh, uh, I'm allowed to do that because I have an existing relationship with that publisher uh, and, and the in-house editor too. So I'm allowed to skip the stage that others might actually insist upon. Uh, and, and if you're trying to push a new work, you know, same as you would a, a book, you have to do your sample chapter, and, and I would have to yeah, prepare a whole. S- am I going on to that? Something we understand. This is what you presented to the publisher. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, and the publisher bought the book. Yes, yeah, so I've It's, it's an incredible publisher. <laughs> now, she'd already signed up for the book, but this is me showing her what I was going to do in it. Really? Yeah. And she said, yes, I want to publish it. <laughs> <laughs> Remarkable. <laughs> keep, keep no, no, no. I think they're the committee. No, no, it's, it's a lot of patience, a lot of, you know, to, to unveil and to uncover. <laughs> it, looks, <laughs> it looks like the scribblings of a madman. Yes, I know. It's like a So that, that's, that's how an actual plan of a page might more, more naturally look. That, that's me... You see I've scribbled moments, then I've kind of assembled larger in the middle of the page, and you see it's a lot rougher. But that's what I'd work from for myself. But I, d- I did obviously work from these things that I presented, because a lot of the thinking was done. And then the poor sod just had to draw it, you know? <laughs> so the fun part was over. I just had to make it look pretty for other people. So yeah, it's just, just, you know, you got your stages. So that's the sample page I did. She, she would, again, the publisher would take this to a, a, a book fair and see how much interest there was. I think that was before signing up, you know, being contracted for the book. So, um, you know, I've given in a proposal, you know, a type document of beginning, middle, end, 
uh, maybe about six or seven sides, a one-page you know sheet where it's reduced to a paragraph what the book's about, and then and then this just shows you the stages. But this is the page she would show at a, at a book fair to, to gauge whether there's interest in them publishing this. Uh, but you see, the, see the black and white line and then the computer colour. The page on the right also shows us uh, how, how you approach colour in the book, which is, is used very directly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's me beginning to explore. So this page is, is a sample page. It doesn't appear in the book in this form, but it, it's me deciding on a colour code where, where basically her world, and it's the meeting between two people, so her world is, is in blues and his world is in brown. It's very, very simplistic, but it opened up all sorts of possibilities once once their worlds start to merge and, and who's in control of the situation. Uh, you know, he's an intruder in her world, in her house. Because he, he, uh, it's, it's somebody who ends up living uh, under somebody else's roof. He's technically... Well, he is a homeless person. So the root of the story, not to go on too much, is, is uh, something I overheard on the radio, Jermaine Greer, in an interview about homelessness and just, well, I've got lots of spare rooms. Uh, why doesn't somebody come and live with me? It was an incredible offer to make off the cuff on, on national radio. Uh, as far as I know, the reality of it was that three people took her up on that, but they were all journalists posing as homeless, no, they were actually homeless. <laughs> and she did live somewhere in the home counties, so, yeah, in the countryside, so it's not like you have homeless people walking past <laughs> all the time, or it's easy for them to get to, you know, somewhere in Surrey did or Kent. Did you find out that the other people were journalists? I have no idea. I mean, I guess that would be another book in itself, uh, to find out how that might have worked, you know, um, having them under your roof. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, about, it's about that kind of domestic setup. Two completely different people suddenly in a hothouse situation. And, and he reads it as room for love. He reads it as a transactional thing and ends up, yeah, end up sleeping together when they shouldn't. So those are finished um, spread from the book. And there we're, we're definitely in, in the other character's Frank's world, so it's, it's all in the browns. With a little keynote that he has blue eyes and when we see her in her blue world, she has brown eyes. So there is a little bit of each of them in the other's world before they meet and yeah you just see there the stages you've got the line art which is hand drawn then scanned in a computer the computer colours applied on a layer and the lettering um, hand lettered on another layer and, and I decided with this book after, after some trials and tribulations I'm only going to hand letter from now on because I've had computer lettering and you have to be really smart with it uh, I, don't, I, think, I think with certain styles it doesn't mesh so I've decided my handwriting suits my drawing and I'm going to try and insist with every publisher from now on that I get to hand letter it because that's how I've always done it and I only changed because they insisted in the past. Have you had a font made of your handwriting? I have three times and, and you know computer technology moves on and, and it becomes useless to you when it doesn't you know the old computer doesn't talk to the new computer or vice versa so so I've, you know, I've got a floppy disk and stuff um, <laughs> I've never managed to keep an up-to-date uh, format of it so I'd have to do that again. If and of I did course, that. You, you lose nuance as well, don't you? There's moments that you you want to add emotion and just tiny little bits of added feeling with the lettering that you can only do on a, on a moment by moment basis. Yeah, and, and, and if you're concerned with rhythms, rhythms of speech and, and rhythms of acting, then then you want to control the lettering to the nth degree and improvise, you know, at the last minute as well and make changes because. Um, a lot is evoked in pauses, you know, as it would be in a poem or a song. That's just a diagrammatic thing where I knew I had to cut, so that's, that's me plotting the cuts to, to lose that many pages, and what I could compress as well, cutting whole pages and scenes and compressing others. This is part of the two-part thing, so we've got the sort of, the, the layout here, I'll sort of flip between the two. Okay. 
Yeah, so originally a double-page spread, but um, space doesn't allow us to do that. I mean, there's Japanese comics where, where um, through the rhythms of their market, they get to tell stories in thousands of pages, and that's the way I naturally think, and I always have since I was a kid doing this, um, and I've had to compress and compress and compress my whole life, so I'm still having to do it, because you know, we don't have the market to support work of that length, and, and, and our comics will be so much more improved when we have more readers, and we can do that. Do you think it's helped you work in some way, like, to be sort of disciplined, to be forced to work a, a lower page rate and, and, and work around the pages more? Yes, so you get resourceful and, and you learn to be tight with, with things, but sometimes you really want to just luxuriate a bit. And, you know, yes, be very afraid when we get to do director's cuts, but I'd love to do a director's cut of something. You know, there's a whole scene in there where he has a running with a policeman the second time and it, it's very juicy and I'd, I'd love to run it but I, you know, I have to as it is with writing anything you have to, you have to drown the puppies you know, kill your babies um, uh, and get rid of some stuff So here with the actual process of compressing these two pages into one Yeah, just trying, trying to still evoke scale you know, even though what existed on a two page is, is basically a one panel of, of a single page It's just trying to get across in, in much less space what still has an impact and, and you know, this can have an impact if the pages before or either side of it are very talky. But they're not after this. There's quite a long sequence of action after this. But they don't immediately talk, of course. When they, This is where they meet. So it's a, it's a pivotal moment in the book. So existing character of mine from a previous work and old character sketches there where I'm trying to locate him. Uh, working for, again for the Japanese market here, there are instructions to me. This is me talking down the phone to a Frenchman who's trying to, co- trying to convey what the Japanese editors are telling him. Japanese editorial is much more hands-on than, than some of the editorial we're used to in, in the West. It says, make pretty for Japanese, sunshine boy, Mark Lester. <laughs> Mark Lester is, is uh, I think, the, the um, Alpha Dodger from, from Oliver uh, back in the 60s. So... Uh, Ironic, you know, he's a street kid, but uh, they wanted him to look cute and appealing for uh, their Japanese readers. And, and notably, I, I decided to go in another direction. He's much sharper. His character is, is quite dismissive, enclosed, sharp. He's not an open person. So I'm going in another direction here. And um, you'll see my role models. Tim Roth, hopeless actor, but um, has a good presence and face. Johnny Rotten and Mr. C from Shaman. But they've got that certain sharp, kind of uh, ferrety kind of face that I wanted. This is from a photo file I had. Uh, so there's images there of Tim, Tim Roth and so on. And what I'm trying to do there is, is make a drawing from the photos that I then work from the drawing, not from the photos. Because otherwise, otherwise you end up with something jarringly photorealistic. So it's always best to get, get your shorthand version of it down and then work from that. And yeah, just, just again, a, a model sheet. Any project I do, I would have model sheets, like an animator would above the desk, uh, it's always reminding me facial shape, although he's losing weight throughout it, and she's try- trying different haircuts on throughout it. Again, with a very standardised, simplified face, the slightest change of proportion will throw the reader off, because it's not who they're used to looking at. You need to recognise somebody throughout. So yeah, that's just, that's just a finished page there. And, and the cover, which... Um, You'll probably notice he's riffing off Edward Hopper. So if you've got to go for somebody about the psychology of spaces, rooms, you know, go for him. And I flipped it for gender and flipped it for direction, but um, it's basically lifting 
the strength of a hopper kind of psychology to capture in one single image what, what you're trying to convey in a whole book, which is incredibly difficult when you think in narrative terms. I think we all find it difficult to sum up our work in a cover because we think in a completely different mode. Carrie. Hi. So do you want to tell us about this project that we're looking at here? Slightly intimidated going after Ilya because he's so incredibly detailed and organised and puts me to shame. You can go Oscar, that'd be even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically I, I do kind of a lot of shorter projects as well and I, I publish graphic novels, The House That Grown, which is on the end. I also do like comic journalism, comic sculptures, digital comics, all sorts of things. I like to experiment with form and, and try out new different things. So with this project, it was um, on a, a, a residency with Pathaporto, which is a literary organisation in Brussels. Brussels is an absolute heart of, of comics and band destiny, the, the French, Belgian-French uh, version of comics. And they absolutely love and support and fund comic artists. They have huge art galleries dedicated to Hergé and all their <coughs> other comic artists who were born from there. And they've got sculptures in the street, they've got comic universities. So they did this fantastic residency where you could go and stay there for two weeks and live on the street very near the old grain market and you had to each do a comic based on the old grain market. My story for that was called The Market and I wanted to do a 12-page comic which explored our relationship with money. So the story is about a magical five-euro note which comes floating into the old grey market and is passed in exchange from person to person for very small items, a packet of cigarettes, a flower, and each of these items seem to grant the recipient's um, deepest, darkest wishes. So that's what the project is. Should I read that first page yet or not? Yeah, go for it. I've not got that many to show, I might as well move this one. Luxurious. I hate it when people show comic pages and they don't read the story, so I'm going to read this one. The Market. On a gust of icy wind sent from the heavens above sailed a five-euro note. It fell to earth and came to rest on the cold cobblestones of an old market, where it lay shivering in the breeze. Along came the builder with the weight of the world on his shoulders, and his mind heavy with the burden of being a grown-up. So just in terms of this page as an image, yep. it's, it's collage you've used here. I'm kind of into cutting out little windows, <laughs> <laughs> basically. I love that. I think comics are fantastic because they, they take moments in time and spread them across physical space to create a narrative or tell information. And I really love the idea of, of the definition of comics kind of um, moving off the page. So, for me, uh, the reason I use cut-out paper is because I wanted to really emphasise our relationship with what is essentially paper, and by making the whole comic in these kind of um, collage style. And it also plays with the dimensions of the comic itself, doesn't it? Literally adding depth to the page. Yeah, I would have added a lot more depth, but because of logistics, I was um, working in an apartment, and I had to take the pages in a suitcase back with me to uh, London, so I couldn't make them as deep as I would have liked. I think about three or, or four layers in some of the things. 
You do use other crafts in terms of storytelling in your comics as well, don't you? I mean, for the House of Groans at Gosh, we hosted one of the characters that you'd made into a sort of a three, four foot tall figure. <laughs> Tiny. <laughs> <laughs> I made, um, like, for, for my book launch, I made, like, cosplay, paper mache masks of the characters. I really like that whole when reality comes out of the, the book and kind of creeps out into reality so I really try and do that with all my work. My newest book is very much like that. Yeah. And similarly you've, you've, I've, I've seen work of yours where you've made essentially a dollhouse and used that to sort of tell a story. Yeah, I mean I go on about my little windows but the, the front cover of, of The House That Groaned was actually based on my childhood dollhouse. I got the, the dollhouse itself driven down by my long-suffering father who drove it all the way down from Edinburgh, where I was born, and dropped off my aunt's house, and then my uncle drove it to London, and I took a hammer to it and gutted out the inside, and I created a, a comic which you look at by looking through the windows, essentially, like a voyeur. The house lends itself really well to a kind of panel formation or a waffle grid formation, like you saw in Ilya's beautifully organised pages. Um, so you read comics like language from top left to bottom right, unless you're reading Hebrew or Arabic or manga, in which case you read top right to bottom left. So with the doll's house, you kind of look through each of the windows and a scene unfolded as, as you, you saw the, the images sculpted in there. And it was a horrible story. It wasn't really like this story, which is definitely horrible. <laughs> but it was um, called Behind the Mirror, and it was kind of based on the Bloody Mary ghost myth or the Candyman horror film of the 90s, if anyone's seen that. Don't look in the mirror tomorrow night and say Candyman three times. <laughs> Don't say it again. <laughs> so this is a photo reference you've got to yeah, work with. Yeah, I think they're pretty realistic, right? <laughs> I've captured that street. They're amazing in, in Brussels, the streets. Are, I, don't, I think you buy like property and everyone builds their house, so everything is kind of different, each of the little narrow houses. I took a photograph that was around the corner from where I was staying and, and then kind of made it into a... I'm kind of obsessed with being a bit patterny with things. Patterny, that's a <laughs> I like the fact there's a tree in the photograph and you like the idea of the tree, but it's definitely in the way. Yeah. So you just move it to either side and, and the turn it into a compositional tree. And the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's the initial sketch I took off the, um, the photograph. And there's a little note at the bottom there that says, cut squares out for windows. And that's some of the okay, this is like how I work. It's not I don't know, for me, um it's not I'm not led by predominantly words or images. I I'm kind of really into the idea of the story. So when I'm brainstorming, I'm drawing little images from scenes which come to my head or I'm sketching little thoughts down or sentences. So it's really both of them simultaneously. That's me creating the comic. I think my husband did on a chair and photographed. <laughs> so yeah, that's how messy I get. And that even that was like that all over the floor and everything. That was the messiest comic I've ever made. So I'm I'm cutting out bits and adding them on and doing this paper flower thing. And that scene there is um somebody spending in fact it's the builder who comes along and spends about euros on a, a flower in his feels like a child in the arms of his wife. He's got this huge big wife who kind of cradles him like a 
little hairy baby. <laughs> we all want to be cradled like little hairy babies. <laughs> How long did it take you to, to do the book? Back to House of Grown, yeah, that took me about a, a year to do. I guess what you'll see about comics and the process of making them is, is it's very much about editing and structuring and organising and cutting things down. The, the kind of the brilliant, exuberant like creativity which you maybe get if you're a fine artist, it's kind of a, a small part, but it, it gets quickly dampened for people. You, you have to be obsessive with meeting and structuring, don't you? Yeah, that's why I'm interested what you said about taking comics beyond um, the borders of the page or beyond off paper, because there's a certain tyranny to working in panels and boxes, yeah. and, and you try and... You, there's, there's freedoms within that structure and stricture as well, but be warned, comic, comics is, is very hard work. Should we have a few work off? Yes, yeah. So what struck me about this set of two pages, and one is, is a work in progress and one is more finished... It seems to me there's a very definite difference between your figure work in terms of the, the more definite lines and then the space that you leave for the watercolours in the other panels. Mm-hmm. I think they come together at the same time. When I think about the actual drawing, I'm thinking about the colour. Still, I have to do a lot of colour sketches before. Working, I, I work in watercolours. Uh, watercolours is a very difficult medium to work with. Uh, because it's, it's, it depends on the quality of the paper, it depends on how much water you, you put into the paper, uh, how much tint, color tint you, you put in the water, the inclination of the, your board. And then you cannot go on on building colors on top of colors because it becomes be very muddy. And because I'm full of hesitation all the time, I, I mean, just looking at Ed's work, how he goes about it, it looks very messy, very complicated. But at the same time, there is an incredible certainty in the way he, he goes about it. It's an incredible certainty. That there, is, that there are doubts, but no, you know, you, you build, you build all the time. And I tend to destroy. Say, I do something and nobody had a big, I, I build again. And we're going to see the sketches or whatever, and then it's, it's getting more kind of um, support. That, that's a very happy event. There are two friends that are more or less, uh, I did the original pencil, and that remains on the actual final artwork. But that, that's quite a decisive two frames for me. Two frames there, yeah. The, the, this book is about f- few things, uh, several things about human relationships, but also it's a tribute to uh, a park, uh, to, to Hansen Heath, which is that's, that's, I, I live nearby, and I tend to, to go there almost, almost every day, because I, I walk and I run, and then I, I think. It's a fantastic place for me to think. So I know that place, and sometimes it helped me out to be certain about what I wanted to draw. But this, this is a fantastic example, which it doesn't happen very often. You know, this is more like it looks like ads than panels. You know, yeah, because I know that I knew the trees. That is the trees I wanted to do. I knew how the humans would look. You know, I think this is quite a happy event for me. It, it takes me longer to arrive to this to to arrive to two panels or one panel. You know?
Watercolour is a technique that's, that I think, perfect for nature because of the, the range it can give you and the sort of, it has a very organic look to it. But it's unforgiving, isn't it, as a, as a medium? As you say, if, if, you, if you get it wrong, if it reacts wrong... Oh, yeah, it's, it's a thing. I, I don't think it's only for nature. I think it also to, to give a mood. You know, it's, uh, I, I think it's almost... Uh, uh, there is a lot of psychology here because the characters... Uh, suddenly something happens... And what happens, uh, they have to start dealing with feelings they, they, they were not very accustomed or they were not, they prefer not to deal with. So there's a lot of kind of internal monologues about what, what was going on with it, about this. And, and then the colour, for me, is very important you know, to, to be able to express something that is not very tangible. It's all, it has to do with feelings or what is not being said. And I think it, it what's a colour. Because that's what I love. You know, this, this is uh, I love comics. I love to to tell stories, and I love to use watercolors in my comics. And I think the whole thing is very organic for me, in order to express what I want to tell or what I, what I feel. You no, know? it's. I, I well, we'll see some of your interior shots later. Yeah, you, okay. you can okay. see how you, you, you write does convey mood and tone very well as well. Yeah. I love these two panels. I love the, the composition within them and the transition between them. I think it's a wonderful example of taking a scene where essentially it's it's two friends having a conversation, but just with that simple action of throwing the ball for the dog in the first panel, and by the second panel, they've changed mission and the dog's gone. It's, it's a wonderful way to sort of convey their movement with some dynamism, but still keeping the sort of placid nature of the park there as well. Mm. Carry on. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> you need to be thin behind him to give him <laughs> So here we've got two stages of, of composition in terms of your, your sort of sketches and, and layouts, and then the, the final image. So you've made some changes to the position of figures and the placing of them within the panel. Yeah. Well, that's why I see the hesitations. I, I, I think about scene, and I, and I think more about what, what is happening in that frame. Uh, I love the small frames. I mean, you, you were talking about that, and you sometimes you prefer to run away from the frame, and, you know? To, you know? Uh, yeah? I, I, I couldn't I, do this job, but yeah. yeah. I, but I, I like the, the limitation, you know, of, of, of the frame. Because there are so many things are going on within that small space, you know. The battle between the pictures you want to tell, the words that the characters are telling. It's, 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 it's a world in those little frames. And that is one of the things about comics that interests me, you know. Yeah, you do, you have here condensed from the, 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 the initial picture yeah. into the smaller picture in terms of tightening up the actual shot in terms of how yeah. the people are, are standing and also it's, it's uh, mostly full length picture at the top but some of it is just, just from the waist up at the bottom so you've, you've sort of condensed it to give it more sort of dynamism and energy Steve <laughs> <laughs> I should frame it as a question how have you done that? <laughs> yes I yeah. Uh, yeah yes it's Steve yeah. <laughs> and again here for example we've got the full length picture at the top but it's an action shot, so you've, you've moved everything in a little yeah. closer just yeah. to, yeah. to bring us into that of action. And again, but, but still keeping the, the, the centering is important again yeah. as well, isn't it? The yeah. important thing, the thing that needs to be at the middle of it all, yeah. is the action, which is the dog. 
yeah, yeah. Between this, this initial stage and this, there are around 15 drawings traveling around until I come back to, to this first situation, but to this, you know. It's, <laughs> uh, sometimes frames, uh, I get lost, you know, I, I get lost in one frame because there are many ways of looking at, at that situation. And I have to travel around until, well, this is the one, you know. They have to have a certain kind of truth for me, you know, that I have to look until I found, okay, that's, that is true for me. What is really happening here is happening for me. So I have a conviction there. So I can start, you know, doing the final art. So we're looking at interior spaces here, and as you say, it, it's watercolour again as a technique, but used in a different way, used to convey mood and tone. Yeah, and, and the light you have to do. The, the light is, uh, is, is very important for me. The light, it creates a situation and people move around in that kind of light. And, uh, there is an exhibition now, the latest work of Rembrandt. And, and that man is incredible how the light travels around all the people that he paints. It's, it's just uh, 500 years ago and still you, you, can, you can be involved in those paintings and yeah, tell you stories. You know. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying, Rembrandt here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I think about Rembrandt when we're talking about light. Yeah. So we've got a sequence here that shows us the same scene but worked on at different stages. So I'll, I'll just sort of I'll run through them and then we can yeah. run back again and you can yeah. sort of talk us through them. Just so we can sort of see yeah. things that stay, things that move yeah. and how they're presented. Yeah. So obviously here very early on it's a case of a of, of very basic layouts, again, uh, as Ilya was saying earlier, about tempo, think, yeah, isn't it? Just yeah, working yeah, out the beats yeah, of the page. It's, it's, and, yeah, and it's about how, because this is the first time I started seeing how the conversation is going through, you know? I started seeing. And again, we see within the panels, a lot of the, the images tightening up in terms yeah, of the yeah. closer on the characters, because, you know, yeah. here you saw that position, but here I imagine a lot is to do with facial expressions and conveying emotion yeah. that way as well. Yeah. It looks like you're editing down the amount of words in the script. Yeah. Yeah? yeah you're yeah. taking stuff out. Taking stuff out, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's because really I, I don't want to make it too wordy, because it, sometimes it gets in the middle of Each little balloon is an essence, no? And then the reader, I hope, they can put the rest. And here's what we see you planning out, laying out the speech books, which is... And an art in of itself, isn't it? Because obviously, yeah, but that does when I think about the page, you know. Usually, I think about single frames, but with the balloons, I try to figure out that they have certain set, set kind of motion in the page, you know, that it guides you. And again, in terms of composition, you've made a, a decision here in the last frame to have him seated in the opposite direction yeah. from, from the initial yeah. thing, yeah, yeah, which yeah. gives it a, a, a dynamism within the yeah, other shot of himself in the. Yeah, uh, yeah in the also because. Uh, Moving the character around, and more he's, he's more he's looking at the dog, you know. Because this man and his dog, it's a story in themselves. In the book. And this is a color, color style. It's, it was a particular time of the day, so I was looking for, for colors. That they kind of it's interesting as well seeing the contrast between the very formal use of line in the internal spaces, and then obviously the much looser lines when you're dealing with, with nature is a, a, a point of contrast. Uh, within the book. 
was that enjoyable for you having you know the studies of the park to work from and yeah. the examples oh, to yeah. use in oh, terms yeah. of yeah 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 sometimes sometimes I did this in the Dutchal Park. I was there I was with the color the color guides for me as a reference in the park. And again in terms of catching the light that's gonna be invaluable isn't it? For me it's very important. Yeah. It's very important because that's that, that's happening at that particular time and no others and that's what I want. And, and sometimes the color sketches when I see the color sketches I did, sometimes I prefer them than the actual final thing because they're a little more looser. You know? And sometimes the actual final thing, some frames are a little more uptight. It's kind of fresh sometimes in the sketches. Don't you think that? Sometimes? Yeah, I really yeah? think that. Yeah. The process is part of the Holdfast Network. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other podcasts you might enjoy.